I wonder, please, if you have your Bible with you this morning, if you could turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, the sixth chapter of uh, Mark's Gospel, rather, Mark's Gospel. We're going to commence our reading at verse 7. That is Mark, (coughs) chapter 6, reading at verse (coughs) 7. I want to seek to minister for a few moments this morning on a subject that has been a personal uh, challenge to my own heart as I've gone around our various congregations. And that is, I have recognised that uh, there are many of God's children who are feeling the heat and the toil of the day. Uh, I suppose we could well describe it uh, as many being hurt or wounded or grieved or vexed in spirit. Uh, These are difficult times for many of the Lord's children uh, and we we see it evidently manifested in in various uh, gatherings of the Lord's children. But there's one thing that I've been particularly sensitive to uh, and that is the the stress that uh, afflicts the child of God. Uh, And I'm sure that I, I speak to maybe all of you this morning when I say that at some time in our Christian life, or maybe even presently, uh, we know and experience uh, something of the, the stress of, of life. Now, it is a subject that we believe is taught clearly in the Bible. Uh, and the answer and the solution to it is documented uh, for our benefit. Uh, so that would be the, the theme of this morning if we could just simply uh, title it as uh, coping with with stress in the Christian's life. Uh, and I trust we may be instrumental in helping and encouraging uh, some of you uh, this Sabbath morning. But our scripture reading is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. We're reading at verse 7, reading through to verse 13, and then just a couple of verses Uh, later on the chapter, verses 30 and 31, but commencing at verse 7. And he called on to him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse. But be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. And then please down at the verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, 
Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. We'll end a reading at the verse 31 of Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, knowing that God will add his blessing to the public reading of his own precious and holy word. The accounts given to us by Matthew, Mark and Luke concerning the sending forth of the Lord's disciples are clearly timeless in their relevancy. Although the passage of time has moved on at what many perceive to be a considerable pace, the spirit of the age has very little in terms of the world's reception of the gospel's message. This is reflected in the detail given to us by Matthew of the Master's directives to his servants. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, and for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. And then the Lord Jesus Christ added these words, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. And as the blessed Saviour concluded the commissioning of his servants, he applied the message in a manner that was particularly personal. And amongst foes, he said, it shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It is very clear from what we have just quoted that the disciples could have been in no doubt whatsoever as to the challenge uh, that lay before them as they departed from the Master to take the urgent message of the gospel uh, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But when they returned to him, we find that there is very little record uh, with regard to the contacts that were made, the souls that had been won, uh, the witnesses uh, that were established. But what is said to us is full of instruction to the church in general and to every believer in particular. In Mark 6 and verse 30 we read, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what uh, they had taught. Uh, the response of the Saviour is quite suggestive and I would say remarkable. In that verse 31, he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. I see this as a very special address to his disciples. For as they come back from their missionary enterprise, he saw in the countenance of those who were his followers uh, the evidence of a stressful spirit. Uh, they had been labouring with great zeal, with great enthusiasm uh, for this period. And now as they gathered to him 
and relate to him all things what they had done and what they had taught, he immediately says to them, the time has now come for you to come aside and to rest a while. Now this thought of gathering to the Lord Jesus Christ is punctuated right throughout the scriptures of truth. For example, in Genesis 49 and verse 10, we read of the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. There is that more familiar text in Matthew 18 and verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, uh, there am I in the midst of them. Uh, so it is in the best interest of every dear child of God uh, to purposely and specifically uh, gather unto him, so that they may hear him say to them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Now this tells us of the severity of stress. I confess that I have no ability whatsoever uh, to engage in the medical science of psychoanalysis. And I'm very happy uh, to leave that to the experts like Dr. Lloyd-Jones of the Christian world. But it is clear to me uh, that severe stress is a common malady among many of us who are part of God's family. To some, this might seem a strange deduction. Some of this notion that uh, to be a Christian is to be constantly uh, riding on the crest of the wave. Uh, that to be a child of God is always to be the personification of expressions of joy, of happiness, and of great delight. Alas, we live in a habitation uh, that is mortal and therefore is corruptible. And such is this habitation that you and I live in, it has the potential to put the severest possible pressure upon the reservoir of our emotions. And on occasions, the dam has been breached, leaving us feeling fragile, vulnerable, and isolated. I'm glad as I turn to the Psalm 107, that I read there of a very interesting expression where the psalmist he speaks of being at his wit's end. An expression that I do believe and many of us will identify with, although we may struggle to verbalize the extent of its meaning. I am totally convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ recognized in his servants here uh, that they were not in a condition to take any more pressure. The pressure that had already been exerted upon them in a physical and mental and spiritual state needed to be addressed. And they said to come aside and to rest a while. But what is important for us to, to look at and to take note of are the factors that expose us to either a short or a long-term period of spiritual stress. The simplest answer, of course, would be to suggest the devil. 
And we all might come to that conclusion uh, that whenever we're going through periods of stress or pressure, uh, that Satan has masterminded uh, the formulating and the imposing of this burden of stress. I wouldn't minimize that for a moment. Paul spoke of this when he testified to the church at Rome in chapter 7, verse 23 of his epistle. He said, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Uh, the apostle recognized and appreciated uh, that as he served the Lord, uh, the adversary of his soul was seeking to war against his mind, is seeking to impose or to inflict into his mind imaginary thoughts. May I tenderly suggest to you that much of our trouble, much of our difficulty emanates from imaginary considerations. I don't want to say that in a harsh way. I'm thinking of what the Bible teaches. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he said, But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds of Satan. And then immediately he said, Casting down imagination. I see the link there between the strongholds of Satan and the casting down of imagination. But there are many things in life that are not imaginary that afflict the child of God. For example, there is a sudden change in circumstances that can bring stress to the heart. Here I'm thinking of the wife of the patriarch Job. One day she was exercising her maternal instincts with her family and the next she was a broken-hearted mother with every fibre of her being pressurised with grief. Even before that tragedy struck, she and her husband's livelihood was destroyed by acts of nature and by the criminal practices of rustlers. But the burdens didn't cease there. The stress intensified. And for soon her husband was stricken with an illness that left him disabled with despair. At which point the severity of her stress broke through the remaining threads of her resistance. Dost thou still retain thine integrity? As she questioned her husband. <coughs> And then her stressful spirit verbalized itself with the words uh, that were composed in a mind distraught with utter bewilderment. Curse God and die, she said. Surely you can't take any more of this stress. You can't take any more of this pressure. We have lost our family. We have lost our livelihood. You have lost your health. You can't take any more. I'm not implying for one moment that any one of us here have had such a sudden change in circumstances as 
as Job and his family. But I know this, that all of us from time to time have had in some measure a change of circumstance. And it brings its inevitable stress. I'm glad that we learn of Job that he could say in the midst of all his trials and testings, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I am conscious now that many of us have known what it is to be emotionally stretched to the very point where we thought we would never recover. Especially when sickness invades the family with a ruthlessness that leaves us languishing in the grip of our own helplessness. Maybe sorrow comes. A bereavement. It has just changed dramatically our circumstances and we've felt the stress of it. That's why, dear child of God, it is good to gather yourself onto him. I, for one, would not want to be amongst those who would condemn Job's wife I know that her interjection indicated that her husband should turn away from the Saviour and not to him. But I'm so glad when I read the words that I've just quoted. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In other words, I will still gather myself onto him. So a sudden change in circumstances can bring stress. Equally a service characterised in conflict. We're going to accept uh, that there is a time difference between the verse 13 and the verse 30 of this chapter. Uh, And that to me is quite important. Because we learn that during the ministry of these disciples, uh, a very noted event took place uh, as far as the Christian church is concerned. Uh, And that was the death or the beheading of John the Baptist. As I read the scriptures, I I find that John the Baptist was still living whenever the Lord Jesus Christ commissioned the disciples uh, to go forth on this uh, this ministry of evangelization. Because word came from John the Baptist uh, to find out uh, what was happening and what the purpose of this mission was about. But somewhere between the commencement of their ministry and the conclusion of it, John the Baptist had met his death. Now you might think that irrelevant in this situation. But it's not. For this very simple reason, that the message that John the Baptist preached was exactly the same message uh, that the disciples were ordained to preach, that is, that men should repent. And as the news percolated uh, through to these disciples, as undoubtedly it would have done so, uh, that John the Baptist had been beheaded in the palace of Herodias, it would have pressurized or put stress upon them. 
it would have added considerably to the fact that here was a man who was preaching the message that they're preaching and he has met his death will the same thing happen to us the greatest man can be affected this way I'm thinking again of the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth he opens his heart he says for we would not brethren have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life I'm pretty certain that some of you have been pressed out of measure that some of you have been pressed to such a degree that it's been above strength and you might even dare I say it have despaired even of life listen to what Paul said but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivereth us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. I, I would encourage you, if I may, to read the latter part of Second Corinthians chapter 11. Maybe this afternoon. Uh, and in so doing, you would receive a fuller picture of the reproach that caused the Lord's servant uh, to pose the rhetorical questions, who is weak and am I not weak? Who is offended and I bear not? You see, sometimes we get the impression that Paul was some spiritual giant unaffected, somewhat immunized from the things that you and I as we might define ourselves ordinary Christians have to endure but that's not true he knew what it was to be weak he knew what it was to be offended but how did he deal with that the stress that that inflicted itself upon him well the answer is given in the very next chapter that's the chapter 12 of 2nd Corinthians he said therefore I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me I'm going to make a very strange point which I trust will be helpful to you it's strange to the natural mind. God increases his blessing upon the life that is bearing the greatest burden of stress. God increases his blessing upon the life that is bearing the greatest burden of stress. Remember when Israel was in the land of Egypt and the strategy of the Egyptians was one of affliction against them we are told but the more they afflicted them the more they multiplied 
angry. Why? Because there were those who were gathered unto the Lord Jehovah. So a change in circumstance can bring about distress, a sudden change, a service characterized in conflict. But also can I add one further point? And that is a sinful compromise in conduct. David, the son of Jesse, put himself under tremendous stress because of his sin. We, we should never use his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba as an excuse or as somehow glossing over a, a mighty man as David sinning and therefore perhaps giving us the idea that we could sin as well. That, that would not be good or right in the sight of God. Because we learn something of the distress that sin brought to David's heart. When we read in that Psalm 51, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. These are words that really verbalize the crushing blows of stress that had left their mark upon his conscience. We, we can never underestimate, of course, on the other side, the pressure that the antagonism and the bitterness of Saul towards David brought to his life. And sometimes, you know, we have to be truthful and acknowledge that that Saul-like spirit can even enter into the church. And that's why it's good to remember what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it might minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Then he said this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Please notice that to alleviate the burden of stress brought about through some sinful compromise, it will bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there is something in your heart this morning. I don't know anything about it, of course. But maybe there is. That keeps you awake at night. That compounds the stress factor upon your being. Humbly, I would say to you, gather yourself unto him. The severity of stress. But just briefly, there is the spirituality of separation. 
Most religions in this world, they, they, they practice a form of separation. The Jew will separate from the Gentile and the Muslim separates from the Jew and the Christian. But the one thing that sets out the child of God from all these others is this. It's not what we're separated from that's important. It's to whom we are separated to. And the disciples here, they separated themselves unto him. And when they separated themselves unto him, the people in the area around Galilee, they would have taken knowledge of, the, of them that they had been with him. There is a text that I've often used and others have used in the gospel. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. And many, many years ago now, unfortunately, I remember attending a Saturday afternoon conference in Carrydoff Baptist Church. And the late pastor James Irvine and the late pastor Willie Mullen, they were the speakers. I remember it as if it was yesterday. I remember Pastor Mullen, he was a wee bit agitated because the ladies were making tea in the background and he was a wee bit annoyed about that. And that stands out. But something more important stands out. When Pastor Irvine was preaching, he was speaking in that text, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He said, I've listened to many preachers bring this message as a gospel message. And there's no problem with that. But he said, look at it. The church had put Christ outside the door. It was to the church at Laodicea. And the Lord Jesus Christ was standing at the door of the church. That's why... We need to gather unto him. I have no hesitation in saying that every time I come to the Lord's house, I consciously say, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, welcome. The spirituality of separation, but finally... The satisfaction of supplication. It says that they told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. I, I can only say this in a verbal sense. I wish I could relate it as I feel it. And that is the tremendous relief that God's people have when they tell the Lord about it. when they just simply relate the matter to him. And even by doing this, the disciples, they unfolded or they unburdened their heart to him. And they set us the example.
Now, what have you in your heart this morning that's troubling you? Have you talked it over with the Saviour? Have you told him about it? You see, you and I perhaps will never know how precious we are to him. I know we sing to him, precious to me, precious to me, Jesus, my Saviour, is precious to me, and that's true. But have you ever thought of how precious you are to him? You are more precious to him than you'll ever understand. He doesn't want you to carry your burdens. He doesn't want you to be paralyzed spiritually because of stress. He doesn't want you to become bitter because of disappointments. You're too precious to him for that to be the case. So he says to you, I know how you feel. You you need to come aside to rest a while. Brother Alan was praying in the prayer meeting about the value and the importance of the Lord's Day just to come aside. And for this very purpose, God has ordained it. But it may be that some are not saved. We would love that you would be saved. We had a dear, dear man who was very antagonistic against the gospel. And for a period of time he, he came to the church in Sandown, maybe for a couple of years, and which in itself was quite a miracle. His wife was a very fine Christian. But this dear man was just very hostile against the gospel. And he took ill a few months ago and he died just the week before last. But whenever I was up in the ward with him, shortly before he died, I said, you know, Dermot, it's really time that you, you came to know the Lord. Oh, he said, David... I've tried it many times and it hasn't worked. Many times I've sought the Lord and I just can't find him. And I said to him, Dermot, have you ever thought that the Lord was seeking for you? He opened his eyes. He said, I never saw it like that before. I always thought that I had to do the singing. But I said, the Lord is right here. He's the one that's singing for you. And I'm glad that that dear man came to know the Lord. His life was changed for the last few weeks of his life. Just on that very simple point. The Lord is seeking for you. 
or that you'd come to him today. That you would trust him as your saviour. For he's been good to you. He's been gracious to you. He's been merciful to you. Swing your heart's door widely open and bid him enter while you may. Thank you so much for listening.